those who don't know me, my name is Polly Connor. And uh, thanks. Uh, 15 years ago, I was in your shoes. I mean, quite literally. I had classes in this auditorium. Uh, I was a freshman in college. I had just become a Young Life leader. Any Young Lifers out there? Yeah, yeah, there's one. (laughs) Um, I just joined Pi Beta Phi, so I was navigating the Greek life a little bit. Um, And I was involved in a campus ministry just like this. I was, you know, making my new social circle of friends. And, you know, with every Christian guy I met, I was wondering if he'd be my husband. And um, you laugh because it's true, but that's a whole different talk. Don't do it. Um, Fast forward 15 years, and uh, this is a picture of my life. It should be up behind me. There we are. Uh, So you might recognize that guy. That's Austin Connor. Married to him. And we have three kids, Adeline, Tyler, and Clay. And, you know, we just have the picture-perfect life. I'm totally joking, all right? We are a hot mess of drama and crazy. Hannah knows. She's babysat for us. Um, (laughs) So just to give you a little sliver of, like, what my life is like on a daily basis, um, Austin doesn't know I'm going to tell the story, actually, but... A couple days ago, he had all three by himself, and he told me he put Clayton, our baby. Oh, yeah, there's that. Forgot about that right there. That's a more realistic picture of our family. So um, the arrow right there is pointing to Tyler, and that was his participation in the Christmas recital at preschool. (laughs) Seriously, he, like, just ducked out and was like, no, not having it. Um, But one more story to add to this is Austin had all three kids at home by himself, and he put Clay in his crib was to keep him there and let the big kids play in his room while he was off doing something. And he said, a couple minutes later, he hears Clay crawling down the hallway. And he's like, what the heck? How did Clay get out of his crib? And so I'm asking that. He didn't know. So I asked Adeline, our oldest. And I'm like, Adeline, how did Clay get out of his crib? She's like, oh, let me show you. She goes in his room, hops in his crib. She's like, I just went in here and I picked him up and I lifted him over the edge. And Tyler caught him. I'm like, Tyler caught the baby? Okay, new house rule. Tyler should not catch the baby at any point, all right? So anyway, just share that just to give you an idea. We are a crazy fun family, but um, yeah, that's life. I wouldn't have it any other way. Uh, You know, I'm excited to talk tonight and close out the series, Encounters with God. But before I jump in, we are going to watch a short little segment of a five-minute video. It's one minute. Um, about a girl named Lindsay Sterling. And Lindsay Sterling got her start on America's Got Talent. She now does worldwide performances, and um, she's a violinist slash performer. It's a little odd, but you'll, you'll get over it. Uh, <laughs> she not only performs live in front of huge audiences, but she has a massive YouTube following. Okay, so she got her start, actually, as a, um, I don't know, YouTuber, whatever you might call it. But uh, she has, like, 8 million followers, over a billion views. Um, One of her videos was the eighth most watched video in 2012, which is pretty big for YouTube. So anyway, I'm going to let you watch that little segment, and then we'll go from there.
uh, so you get the picture, right? Like, she's a big deal, and people don't realize that, and they are walking right past her. Why are they missing that? Well, they think they're too busy to notice. And the truth is, if you or and I in that, were in that subway, we probably would walk right past her, too, right? Um, just like these people, we can be so busy that we don't see the importance of things right in front of us. In the digital age we live in, we think we are busier than ever, but the reality is busyness isn't a new thing. Humans have always had a hard time filling their lives with things that don't, don't really matter, that uh, aren't important and they miss out of something of true value right in front of them. We've always had a problem keeping the big things big and the small things small. This was even true thousands of years ago. So take a look at Luke 10, 38 through 42. If you have your Bibles, open up to that. If not, it's going to be up here. Um, I'm going to go ahead and read that. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So here's where we're going tonight. I'm going to unpack this scripture a little bit, give you some context, and then we're going to dive in and figure out what does this say about 2017? What does it say about busyness in our lives now? So what can we apply from Mary and Martha? So... Basically what's happening is that the, the disciples and Jesus are on their way to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is eventually where Jesus would be crucified. So they're on the final stretch of their ministry when they stop at Martha's house. And this is the first time we meet Martha in the, in the Bible. We later learn that Martha would actually be a very close friend of Jesus. She's an older sister of two siblings, Mary and Lazarus. Let me see right off the bat that Martha and Mary have very different personalities, okay? Martha is a typical firstborn, right? She's a doer. She's an achiever. She's task-driven. While her sister might be a little bit different, Mary is a little bit more of a free spirit, okay? She was, she's the one that's probably better with people than staying on task. Um, she probably never wore a watch, you know, probably chasing butterflies, um, I'm kidding, I'm being hard on Mary because I'm a total Martha, all right? Uh, to the point where I have to remind myself to, like, focus on people when there's a task in front of me. I'm like, okay, there's people. Tend to them, too. Uh, my sister, on the other hand, is a total Mary, okay? My sister's one of the kindest people I know, but just not an organized person. Um, as sisters, we are great friends, but growing up, we kind of drove each other mad. So some of you might relate to this, but she considered, so she was my ride to school in the morning, and she considered a great accomplishment if she could, like, slide in the classroom, sit in her seat, like, as the bell rang, right? She's, like, winning, all right? That's awesome. But Martha and me, like, stressed out about that, right? I wanted to leave early. I wanted to make sure my homework is done. I wanted to have a little space in my life. And so some of our biggest fights growing up were over the time we left for school. It seems silly, but when you have opposite personalities, it makes sense. So I relate to Martha in this story. If my sister and I were to share a home together and someone with the status of Jesus came by, I for sure would be the one being like, we got to get a meal made. we got to make a bed. we got to, you know, this, this, this. And she'd be the one hanging out on the couch with them, right? So I relate to Martha's annoyance at her sister when she basically kind of tattles 
on her on Mary to Jesus. So it says, she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me, right? Again, I get that. I'm like, yeah, get off your butt and help, right? Uh, you can tell it by Martha's tone, too, that she fully expects Jesus to agree with her. But what does he say? He says, Martha, Martha. He uses her name twice, and that tells us something. He's being gentle, okay? When my kids are in need of a strong reprimand, I do not use their name twice. <laughs> so, another story. Uh, the other day, I came into a room, and Clayton, my youngest, was laying on the floor, and my three-year-old Tyler was laying on top of him, all right? This was not a one-name reprimand, or this was not a two-name reprimand. This was a, it wasn't a, Tyler, Tyler, get off your brother. He probably can't breathe, you know? No, it was a Tyler, get off your brother right now moment. <laughs> so my point in that is that you can get a better idea how Jesus felt about Martha and the way he was correcting her in that moment. He's not condemning her. He's inviting her to listen and learn. He goes on to say, you're anxious and troubled about many things. He's looking at her heart. He's seeing through the flurry of activity and, that she's doing, and he's concerned about the heart behind it. He goes on to say, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. If you're like me, you're kind of wondering, like, the good portion, like, what does that actually mean? And so basically the good portion is, re is referring to Old Testament scriptures to where uh, to passages that say the, that Christ is, the greatest possession is close fellowship with the Lord as one's portion in life. So look at these two um, psalms as an example. Psalm 16.5 is, Lord, you alone are my portion in my cup. You make my luck secure. Psalm 73.26 says, my flesh and my heart may fail but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So this is where we ask ourselves, what is Jesus teaching us about busyness? What can we take from this passage and apply today, tomorrow, the next day? Real quick, let's just point out that busyness in itself is not a sin, okay? Jesus was a busy dude. And the Bible tells us that we should work hard, and be industrious and use our gifts. It's not saying set aside all your commitments and have an eternal quiet time with Jesus. The passage, uh, what Jesus is trying to draw out of Martha was that her tasks needed to be reprioritized. It was that she needed to keep the big things big and the small things small. That's so hard, right? Like it's so hard to keep the big things big. What's behind this? Why do we fill our lives with activities and commitments? And even if we have downtime, we want to fill it up or we hop on our phone or Netflix or social media or whatever you do these days. <laughs> uh, why is it a problem if we don't have plans on weekends? What's the root cause of busyness? I think there are three main root causes of busyness. There might be more, but I've came up with three. We're going to talk about it. <laughs> uh, first is our felt needs seem more important. I think this is what we see through Martha's story, is that she felt like the most important thing in that moment with Jesus was to prepare for his visit, whatever that may be. It wasn't specific, but uh, she was resting on her own understanding of what was most important in that moment, rather than being in fellowship with Jesus. So I get that, right? I mean, in my life, this, I'm very familiar with this. So, I mean, even today, okay, so I'm giving a talk here, and I had like an hour 
like downtime today, which is very rare for a mom of three at home. Uh, both boys were sleeping. I had an hour. I'm like, gosh, giving a talk of Vera Talks. I probably should spend some time with God, right? Okay, so okay, I'm going to get my Bible out and everything. And then I'm like, oh, shoot, I need to answer that email just real quick. I'm going to answer the email, then I'm done. Hop on there, answer the email, like, oh, overdue bill. Got to pay that too. Okay, going to pay the bill, going to pay the bill. Uh, okay, shut the computer, time with God, time with God, walking to my Bible. Uh, our house is so gross. Like, I just need to clean for like 20 minutes. The floors are sticky. There's something rotting in the corner. Just 20 minutes, right? And then all of a sudden, the kid's up. It's gone, right? So my point is, there's always going to be something. I mean, your list looks way different than mine right now, but I'm sure you have a list. There's always going to be something no matter the stage of life. Second root cause of busyness, it makes us feel important. So next time you're catching up with someone, listen to yourself, right? You're most likely going to mention how busy you are or the things you're doing or how active you are. I just did this last weekend. I was home at my parents' house and ran some family friends, and they're like, how are you doing, Polly? I'm like, oh, good. We're staying busy. I'm like, I have to say that. I'm writing a whole talk on busyness. I just, like, just fell into it right there. But it's just kind of this natural inclination of, like, we want to say we're busy. Why is that? Marketing professors from Columbia, Georgetown, Harvard, recently explained that being busy and not having enough time for a social life are the new mark of importance and social status. So get this. They say, we've somehow transitioned from revering people who can afford to have a lot of vacations to wanting to be that boss who's overworked and overscheduled. Thus, by telling ourselves that we are busy and working all the time, we are implicitly suggesting that we are sought after, which enhances our perceived status. We feel this tension, especially in college, right? There's always stuff to do. There's always more to do. There's always things that you can do. We fill our downtime up, and we feel guilty about doing nothing. I mean, even before this talk, I was talking to Kyle back there, and he told me about this app that you can get on your phone that fills your schedule. Okay, so you can get on this app. I think it's, I, we got this or something like that. Uh, but you can, you can click on it, and it fills your schedule with things going on in the community just so you can look busy, feel busy, <laughs> have something to do. So we want our full calendars, but they feel kind of like a badge of honor, and they make us feel important or even valuable. So maybe that's you. You know, maybe you keep yourself busy just so you kind of feel more important. Another root cause of busyness is that it distracts us from our pain. Okay, I know a student at Mizzou, uh, she's not in here, so don't look next to your neighbor and think it's her, um, who was in a really yucky relationship. And as I was talking to her about it, uh, she just told me, you know, I'm just going to keep busy so I don't have to worry about it. And that's what she did. She had two part-time jobs, a huge course load, and she just stayed busy from morning to night so she didn't have to deal with yucky, relation, yucky emotions coming out of the relationship. Or maybe you're in a similar boat. Maybe you've got some family junk going on. And like in your downtime, you feel the weight of that. But if you stay busy, you don't have to face those emotions. You don't have to deal with it. Or maybe it's just past wounds that haven't healed. Something happened that you just haven't faced, haven't dealt with. Maybe you're just lonely. You just feel like if you're busy and have a full schedule, you don't feel as lonely. Whatever it is, many of us use busyness as a way to avoid pain, at least some point in our life. But what happens if we live a life like Martha? What happens if we live a life dominated by the felt needs, determine our value by how busy we are, or use it as a distraction from pain? Well, if we look at the scripture, we can see that Jesus is saying to Martha, 
that she's choosing the portion that will be taken away from her. She's busying her life with stuff that just won't matter in the end, the things that will pass away. If we live a life like Martha, we won't really see Jesus. We'll be doing a lot of things for him, but not really knowing him or transformed by him. We won't experience all that he has for us. And my guess is that the majority of Christians fall into this category. We're busy doing a lot of good things, but not spending that face time with Jesus. Check out this scripture. Matthew 7, 22 says, many will say to me, this is Jesus talking, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, evildoers. Guys, that scripture scares me, okay? I think we can trick ourselves into thinking that we are spiritually healthy because we're about doing things. We are going to church. We went on the mission trip. We are a small group leader. We're doing stuff in our Greek life, whatever it may be. I know I did that in college. I still do it. We hide behind all of our busyness, convincing ourselves that we're spiritually healthy because of that. But Jesus is saying in the scripture, at the end of your life, he is not going to ask for your spiritual resume. He's going to ask, do you know me? So not only... Is choosing the wrong portion destructive to our health, our spiritual health? But it also saps our ability to be present with those around us. You know, I think we all want deep friendships, right? We all want connection. We all want authenticity. You know, I've been seeing this hashtag going around like, this is the real me. Because people want to be known. They want to be authentic with each other. But if your life is so packed full... You're not giving yourself the space for these relationships to grow and flourish. It keeps us from forming that kind of community that we just so desperately crave. In the end, being busy with the wrong things leaves us empty, unfulfilled, and lonely. So what do we do if we believe that a life filled with the wrong things is not what we want? What's the first step? Well, we do what Mary did. We identify what really matters. It's hard to do, and sometimes it's easy to do. You know, something happened recently in my life that has helped me identify what the big things are. Um, you might have caught wind of this from one of Austin's talk, but his grandmother recently passed away a couple weeks ago. And just to give a little backstory, she was diagnosed with a fatal heart condition and went to the hospital, and they pretty much said, you have days to live, okay? And Austin and I were the only ones be in the caregiver position for her. So we were the ones making all these huge medical decisions, um, spending time with her, holding her hand. We were the ones up there at night, making sure she wasn't alone. Um, you know, and I've never spent time with someone who's dying and knows they're dying. My guess is most of you haven't either. And here's something that, that surprised me. You want to know what she talked about the most, what she wanted to talk about in her final days and hours? It was Jesus and her people. She wanted to talk about heaven. She wanted to talk about what she was going to talk to Jesus about. She wanted to talk about how she was going to see two of her children that had passed away earlier in her life. She wanted to talk about um, just being at peace there. And not only that, she wanted to talk about people, her relationships, her family, her memories. So I left that situation and I was like, gosh, at the end of your life, things are very simple. 
it comes down to Jesus and your people. And we need to orient our time and our lives around that. So how? How do we orient our lives around these big things? I wish there was a quick fix, guys. I wish there was like a three-step approach I could give you next, but there's not, okay? Because I'm still figuring out how to do this. For me, since that experience in the hospital with her, I've been having a new filter, okay? I've been asking myself, what's going to matter in the end? Or what's going to bring me closer to Christ? And even what's going to allow me to be more present with my people? I'm practicing running decisions through this filter. Because there's just so all, there's always things coming across your plate that people want your time. I'm running things through this filter. And you know what I'm finding? Is that I'm having to say no a lot to good things, very good things. But just having to say no more. Because if I want to remain present with my people, and I want to give myself the space, Space and the time to allow God to grow and time to be in his word, I, I have to say no a lot. So I don't know what this looks like for you. Um, I'm still trying to figure out what it looks like for me. But, you know, some ideas are maybe it's saying no to a job that's going to have you work Sunday mornings. Maybe it's taking a lighter course load so that you can be more present with the people around you. Maybe it's choosing not to go to a late movie because you want to have the energy to get up in the morning and actually have a quiet time with God. Maybe it's choosing a job based on a location that you know there's a thriving gospel-driven church versus choosing a job that pays the most. Maybe it's just as simple as putting your phone in another room at night so you aren't on social media and you actually maybe pray before you go to bed and pray when you wake up. Again, I don't know what it is. You have to figure it out for yourself. But just whatever it's going to be, it's going to be hard. Okay? And it's unnatural. And it's going to take discipline. But it's important. Why is it important to choose the portion that will last? To fight to get in front of Jesus? Because it's at the feet of Jesus where transformation happens. So you want to see change in your life? You want to see the big things and the small things change? It takes getting in front of Jesus. You want to have the patience to deal with a difficult roommate, boss, person in your life? That takes getting in front of Jesus. You want to have the strength to fight the hundreds of temptations you must fight every day. That takes being in front of Jesus. You want to have the strength to stay out of relationships that aren't going to be glorifying to God? That takes coming before Jesus and spending time with him. You want to have peace about your future job. I know in college it's just a stressor of like, what the heck am I going to do with my life? You want to have peace about that and trust in God in that? It takes being with Jesus. You eventually want to be a good husband, a good wife, a good father, mother. That takes being in front of Jesus now, today, cultivating that. Or what about the end of your life? Like Austin's grandmother, do you want to have the faith it takes to look at death in the face and not flinch, that takes getting in front of Jesus today. It's at his feet, it's in his presence that we see change and transformation. Not in doing more, and not in serving more, not in reading more. Those are all good things, but if they are not, if they are not leading you to a closer relationship with Christ, they're, they're, they'll pass. They're the small things. It's only through him. 
but takes practice now. Practice keeping the big things big and the small things small and choosing the portion that will last. So as we wrap up our time, I feel like that went really fast. It probably did. I talked fast. Um, I've asked Andrew and the worship team to play a specific song. Um, this song's called Give Me Jesus. And the reason I asked him to play this song is um, one of the last nights that I spent with Austin's grandma, I left that hospital not knowing if we were going to see her again. I mean, that's a very raw feeling. It's like leaving and like knowing she might die that night. So I'm like driving home in my car. I'm like crying, like praying that God would just be near her. And this is a song that just came to my heart. And so I sang it out loud in my car, crying, looking like a crazy person probably. Uh, but the, the lyrics just made sense in that moment. Uh, and I think as I was writing this talk, those, these lyrics just kept running through my head over and over again. So my hope is that they resonate with you. Really listen to them, really think about them, really let them sink in. Um, and let them draw you closer to Christ. So I'm going to pray, and then we'll, we'll close out here. Um, Father God, I just pray for every student in this room. I pray that you would soften their hearts to recognize where they are busying themselves with things that are going to pass away. Lord, I pray that they would desire to make the big things big. I pray that you would help them simplify, help them prioritize, help them to find rest in you alone. 